Good evening, everyone. And if we haven't met personally, uh, my name is Tim. I'm the vicar here. Really nice to see you. If you got hold of a Bible, we've got them back from uh, uh, wherever they went. They're back there now, which is good. So if you, if you want to grab one of those, uh, a green Bible, I can then give you a page reference, which is um, 1,097. Um, two, if you're on your device or you're tuning in from home, we're in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. And... Um, I'll read from verse 14, halfway through his, his sort of argument about what God has done in Christ. Just while you're finding that, page 1096, if, you, if you're visiting or, or new, we're in the middle of a sermon series that's taking the, um, actually I think I've been referring to it as a prayer, but actually it's more a declaration, an exhortation on, on, on the part of the congregation at a baptism. When we baptize someone, whether they're an infant or an adult, one of the things we, uh, the congregation, the whole church says, this is right across the Anglican Communion, if you use the, uh, the, the liturgy uh, for a baptism. And we, we say to these newly welcomed um, into the body of Christ, the army of God, we say, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and remain faithful to him his soldier, your soldier and servant for the rest of your lives. Uh, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ. And we've taken that idea and we're kind of unpacking it a little bit um, across these weeks. And uh, I, I wanted to try and unpack a little bit tonight the, the sort of anatomy of fighting valiantly. What, what does it look like to fight valiantly? To pick up a little bit on what Will was saying around our sort of information overload culture and, and the ways in which uh, the enemy would maybe throw us off. So, so let's, let's root ourselves in. There's a number of scriptures we could have picked on, but here, <clears throat> here we are in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you, if you just flick over a page to chapter 10, if you're in the Green Bibles, um, chapter 10, same letter, and just these two verses in verses 4 and 5, particularly as it pertains to, uh, pertains to how we 
fight valiantly. He says, verse 4 of chapter 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the weapons we fight with are not like we see all around us, the, the way in which people live and combat and contend. No, our weapons have divine power that demolish arguments and every pretension, pretentious idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. That's how we fight. Father, help us today. We need your wisdom, your inspiration. We need your revelation. Equip us, Lord. We, we, don't, we don't want, if we're honest, Lord, we, we've got plenty of information, we've got lots of knowledge. We don't need more of that. We would love you to transform what we already have to make us live even more effective lives for you and for your glory. Amen. Amen. I was chatting um, a little while ago to a disciple of Christ. I, actually, I don't know whether he'd been baptized or not. Not a member of this church. I was on a, on a um, kind of summer conference um, that I was, I was kind of speaking on. So I was there for the, for the week. So I was getting to know the people I was with and just chatting to this person. And he was a disciple of Christ, but he was weary. He was battle weary. Uh, he'd been fighting valiantly. For, for many years, I, I guess. But what he was kind of just slowly, gently confessing to me was that he was kind of reaching for his, his white flag and, and, and wanting to wave it. He was, he was worn down by the battle, the, the, the effort of living for Christ in the world today. Uh, John Mark Comer knows something about that. They're just on the, the black table there. He's, he's written a book called Live No Lies. Uh, uh, and just how to, to combat those things that reduce our life in Christ. That the lies, actually, that we, we give weight and value in our lives and that rob us of our riches in Christ. Live No Lies. How we can fight valiantly. Uh, recommend that book. It retails for two or three hundred pounds. We're selling it just for ten Billy, Billy bargain. Um, so, and the best way to do that is if you grab a copy, let me know, and then I can, and then if you go and tap, the, just tap the tap, scroll down the tap and go, so it's 10. Then when it says 10, press it. It's not everyone gets this right. Um, press it, and it sort of blinks. And then when the little white light comes on, wave your phone at it, all done. And then I can let our bean counselors know that that's not a gift into the general coffers, but you've paid for a book. And I really recommend it. Weary guy. I was talking to him, and, I, and we kind of, as we chatted, he was. Um, I said, do you, "Do you do you kind of read God's word? Do you read it? Yeah, oh yeah." And it turns out that he he reads the Bible on a regular basis. But as we began to explore that a little bit, he actually we said, "You know, yeah, <laughs> you know," and it, it had become more of a a chore and a duty than it had a delight. If he was honest, he was really sort of confessing that actually the thought of 
you know, it, is, it had become a sort of ought. I, ought. I ought to read the Bible. I, I ought, that's what I ought to do. Which, you know, if you had a spiritual GP, he would diagnose a hardening of the arteries. Not good for our spiritual health. And he felt it was weighing him down rather than lifting him up. Fight valiantly. Uh, actually, what Paul is saying in this, this, these two verses we just had in chapter 10 is fighting valiantly it isn't necessary, it doesn't necessarily mean you know, fighting sort of just closing your eyes and punching wherever. It's actually fighting wisely, winsomely, fighting, if you like, intelligently. And I don't mean with an academic intelligence, I mean with a spiritual intelligence, with the ability to see where the fight actually is which is, is actually to see where the enemy is deceiving you. I'll say a bit more about this guy and the Bible and how maybe the enemy had very subtly deceived him on what the Bible actually is, such that it was becoming a burden rather than a joy. How do we fight valiantly? Well, the first thing is, as, as Will was um, Saying, I'm going old school with my illustrations. I know we've got these wacky screens um, and we can do all sorts of wonderful things. I'm just going old school. I used to be a school teacher. This was my world. Information. Yeah, and as, as Will said, uh, here's maybe where the enemy starts his work. Don't forget, he's called the father of lies, the deceiver. That's how Jesus, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't spend much time talking about the enemy. And so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, wary that I don't want to spend too much time focusing on the dark. Let's focus on the light. Let's look at Jesus, the light of the world. And so Jesus doesn't talk much about the devil. But when he does, it's interesting that he refers to him as the deceiver and the father of lies. And, and he, he gets to us with our ideas. If you think about where an idea starts, it's inside you alone. As soon as you share an idea, someone else can come in on it, maybe counter it, or divert it, or question it. But all the while the idea just resides in you, it can kind of ferment and percolate. And I, I, I wager to suggest that the enemy loves that. We just keep these ideas unseen, quiet, fermenting away with all the information that we have. Information triggers us. In a good way, oh, I didn't know that about someone. I will act in a good way benevolently towards them. You've given me a piece of information, I will act in love or grace or patience towards them. Good, it can trigger us. Or it can trigger us in all sorts of ways that appear harmful, but actually begin, as Will was alluding to, to just begin to weigh us down. The guy, apparently addicted to podcasts. I'm not surprised. Have you seen how many flipping podcasts there are to be addicted to? And they're all good. Well, not all of them, but many of them. Many of them. Oh, that's good. People say, oh, it's listening to this podcast, listen to that podcast, listen to this sermon online, listen to that bit of teaching. All the teaching's good. All the podcasts are good. Oh, my goodness. When have you got time to do anything else? Information, information, information. Bombarding us. Here's where the enemy had just gently deceived this this faithful soldier, soldier this, this guy fighting valiantly, he just convinced him that the Bible was essentially a series of stories with a moral. 
They were kind of morality tales. It were stories of people, and they were either good or, or bad. And where they're good, follow their example. Where they were bad, don't follow their example. I mean, the book of Kings would be the classic example. There's a good king who leads Israel because he's faithful to God, and he leads the people in God's ways. Good. We should be like him. Then he's followed by a bad king. And, and he leads people away. Into, they worship the gods of other nations and they do all sorts of evil and detestable things. Ooh, we don't want to be like him. So we read these examples. Or, or, you know, sort of characters like, like Joseph languishing in, a, in Pharaoh's prison. And he's patient. Yes, yes. We should be patient like Joseph. Or, or there's David, little shepherd boy, huge, great, giant Goliath. We should have courage like David. Just a few stones. Yeah, and we'll, win. we'll be courageous. Or, or there's Andrew, the apostle Andrew. He's so humble. He's very humble as the apostles. You know, he wasn't like James and John puffing themselves up. We should be humble like Andrew. Or, or Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Be more encouraging like Barnabas. So we read all these things. And then I'll read all these things. And I should be tried to be like them. The Bible is basically a book of moral tales. And Satan says, great. Hey, uh, have, you, have you heard of other moral tales? Have you heard of, for example, Aesop's fables? Do you, are you familiar with Aesop's fables? They're really good. They're really good. If you get hold of Aesop's fables, you read Aesop was this kind of Greek slave in the 5th or 6th century BC. Brilliant fables. Got a lovely fable. I'll tell you an Aesop fable. Of, of, um, the sun and the wind were having an argument as to who could be more powerful or effective on humanity. And they were arguing, who's that? and they, they argued to us. And so eventually they said, okay, they pick on a guy who's just walking on earth. And so the wind says, right, I'll, I'll tell you what, whoever can get that coat off that man is the most powerful. Sun says, okay. So the wind says, I'll go first. So the wind blows. So he blows even harder. And he raises, he becomes storm force. And the man kind of, he kind of cowers down and he clashes. But the more wind blows, the more man holds on to his coat. Sun says, move over wind, it's my go. And the sun just shines. And it heats up. It heats up. It gets warmer and warmer. The man undoes the top button and he mops his brow. And in the end, takes off his coat. Ah, a nice little fable. If you've got nothing out of church today, at least you've got a nice little fable from Aesop. And we sort of muse on that. Yeah, so we can think about the transaction of power. I mean, how is the ecology, how much impact it has? Do we want to be forceful? Maybe there's a soft power, a gentle power. Mm, yeah. Hey, don't, don't, all good. And I'm, I'm, I realise now I've given you probably more knowledge than you had when you came in the room. And I think, oh gosh, <laughs> defeating my own sermon. Then the enemy comes and says, oh, so you've got all these lovely Bible stories and here are Aesop's stories. Wonder if there are any other stories we could. Let's get, knowledge is good, isn't it? Let's have more knowledge. And you suddenly realize, little idea, another little idea fermenting here. You don't share it with anyone else. Just in your head, you think, oh gosh, I, there's so much I don't know. I didn't know about all these things. So maybe I need more information. I need more knowledge so that I can actually make a look at me spinning around trying to live for Jesus. Like Aesop's fables aren't evil. These other things aren't necessarily evil or bad. But you see how the enemy, you see how he can take that, all the information, and render us ineffective. You know what we need? 
what we need, and this is unique to spirituality in general, and I say specifically because we can know the person who reveals truth to us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus in us, we need revelation. We need revelation on all the information we have. We, we, in order to give all that information that's out there, in order to give it significance, in order for it to root in us, in order for us to discern what's important and what isn't, what's crucial I need to focus on and what is kind of tertiary or secondary, peripheral, marginal, in order to, to work all that out in a way that aligns my life with the plans and purposes of God. I'm not spinning around all over the place, but I'm walking in the plumb line truth of God's plan and purpose. I need revelation. Paul prays this prayer. We, guys, we got the, can we get the scriptures up on the, on the screen? There's quite a lot to flick through, so I'll get these ones on the screen. This one's in a, it's Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus. Oh, is that a thumbs down? Sorry, I can't, I can't see. Okay, I'll need to read it. No problem. Um, Ephesians. Where is it? Here it is. Um, Paul prays this prayer to um, uh, for the church in Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, this is the bit, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Interesting, we, we think about it, I made this point before, we have eyes in our head that help us to see visually. Paul prays, not for the eyes of our head to see visually, for the eyes of our heart, our understanding. So that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, he goes on to say, is like the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Revelation. Paul prays that the Spirit, you notice that's not something that we can do. Information is something that we can glean and garner. We can go online, we can read books, we can go to conferences, we can, do, we, we can gather information. That's, if you like, our part in this. I'm going to describe a, a circle you might have anticipated. But revelation is what God does. That's what he brings it kind of makes sense if you um, I've used another visual aid in the past you'll have to imagine it because I haven't got it with me uh, but a bowl of water and a sponge and, and we are the sponge and the, and the water is, is, is all of God and, and so the sponge immerses in the water you put the sponge in the water and the water goes into the sponge so if we immerse ourselves in God God fills us and if we are filled with God then it's not just the eyes of our head that see as we are the whole of us is filled with God the eyes of our heart see as God sees. And so he reveals things that may formerly have been hidden from us. We haven't quite seen. A couple of examples. One is in Matthew 16, when that Jesus says, deliberately, he says to his followers, um, who do people say I am? Oh, well, some people have got this idea. Some people have gleaned this information. Uh, you know, all, all sort of good attempts at, at, at trying to discern who Jesus is. Jesus says, yeah, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter says, you are the Christ, which is just a word for the anointed one of God. God's, uh, God's picked you. <laughs> you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says... 
Blessed are you, Peter, because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, skin and bone, you and me. You, this, you, couldn't, you couldn't have just read about this or kind of Googled it. The ability to see who I am, God says, is, Jesus says rather, is revealed by my Father through the Spirit, Trinitarian theology. So, so there's Jesus, and God the Father uses the Spirit through Peter to, to make the declaration of who Jesus actually is. Peter could, Jesus is saying Peter couldn't have worked that out on his own. He needed revelation. That's, that's why we have a pneumatology. A, 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 a pneumatology is just our understanding of the work of the Spirit. We, we need to be like that sponge, full of God. We're porous. So be filled with God's spirit so that we can see who Jesus is and what he means to us, to those around us, to the world in which we live. Thomas, you remember Thomas? Thomas is sensible. We call him doubting Thomas. We should call him sensible Thomas. Thomas knows from all the information available to him that when people die, they don't tend to come back to life again. When you're dead, you're dead. And so the other disciples, they're, kind of, they're in shock, they're in grief, they were probably slightly delusionary. And they say, oh yeah, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas goes, yeah, right. <laughs> unless I can actually touch him, unless I can actually see him, I'm, I'm not going to believe. But we should call him fair enough, Thomas. <laughs> and then Jesus walks through a wall and appears before the disciples and says, Thomas, here, my hands, my feet, my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus blesses Thomas and says, you, you, you see it, see, see it with the eyes of your heart, Thomas, not just with the eyes of your head, but you now see who I am, not just Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus the carpenter's son, my Lord, a term, a reference only reserved for God. He says of this man standing here, you are one and the same. I see it, Revelation. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Thomas, you finally said, and blessed are those who come after you who will also believe but have not actually seen in the same way you have. In other words, they haven't had that kind of physical, tangible information, you standing right in front of me. They see who I am purely through revelation. That's you and me. That's why I assume we're here this evening. Truth hidden now revealed. So, so my, my faithful, valiant warrior, weary, he, he needed, I suggest, to come before God and say, Lord, I need that spirit of revelation that shows me that scripture is more than just moral tales. It's theological truth. The Bible, scripture, is God-breathed, it's inspired writing. It, it, is, it, it is just a golden thread of God's scandalous grace towards his creation, including you and me. It's God's story of love. It's not about whether people have been good or bad. That, that's incidental, that, that, that's, in, that's woven in. But the key thing, what is it? The revelation you, he needed for scripture, we need for scripture, is, is that this is God speaking to us of his unbelievable grace, his love, his desire that we would come in line with his dreams, desires, plans and purposes and would have the courage to walk out of those into Monday morning and the rest of this year and the rest of your lives. 
leaking Jesus. Not a rule book. See, that revelation for my, for my friend is that the Bible, in this particular instance, the, the Bible's not a set of rules or a moral tale. It's a love letter. Receive that love letter. Now, when you do that, now we're on a roll. Here we are. You see, when, you, when you've had that revelation that comes from the Spirit, that leads, here we go, that leads to transformation. This was our reading. Let me just read the relevant verse again. In 2 Corinthians 5. Just revelation on where 2 Corinthians 5 actually is. Oh no, here we are. Got it. Talking about Christ. Verse 16, he says, So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. With all the information they had. Because we've, we've now got revelation on who Jesus is. We once regarded Christ that way. We do so no longer. Therefore, verse 17, worth committing this verse to heart. This is the basis on which you and I live as Christians in the world. This is how we fight valiantly and expect to win. If anyone is in Christ, and that's shorthand for sponge in the water, if you put a sponge in water, sooner or later, water will invade the sponge. So when you read in Christ... It, 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 it is also Christ in you, which is the beginning of revelation, the, the opening of the eyes of your heart. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ and Christ is in them, the new creation has come. That's transformation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is also a work of God. So kind of, if you like, above, above the line is stuff we do, But below the line is stuff that God does. He reveals and he transforms. But it's vital that we understand that the need for and the work of spiritual transformation that takes place. The old goes and the new comes. That is a work of God through Christ by his spirit in every believer's heart. And you simply, you simply come before God and say, oh God, I am so stuffed full of information. I am spinning around. So my life is becoming worn out and flaked out and dried out. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking towards the white flag. And that, that moment of white flagness is when, in one sense, the father's heart goes, ah. Because now I, now I know where you are. And now I know that you know what you need. And you come to me for revelation. And when you see who I am and what I can bring to you, I will, I will affect transformation in you. That old weary you goes. And the new you comes. Actually, that has already happened in theological terms when he said, it is finished, done, complete. That transformation was complete. It, it's as if, in fact, the, the, the language, the Greek is actually, um, it's, it was kind of used in the banking world, like when a, when a debt was paid, it was complete, paid. So just to use a financial illustration, I could write, do you, do you guys remember what a check was? <laughs> just, sorry, I've got to remember my age, my cultural references. Wait, suppose you go play with me on this analogy. Supposing I wrote you a check, quaint, and I gave it to you. From the moment I sign it, 
that money is yours, assuming it's backed up by my bank account, but as soon as I sign it, that money is yours. How long you take to cash it, it's up to you. You could cash it straight away, in which case, boom, it's yours. Or you could leave it a week, or a month, or three months. I know the analogy, oh dear, we've lost revelation. <laughs> this, this is not good. We need revelation. Um, that it is finished. New creation, new life, the spirit of revelation and the spirit of transformation is yours. The question is, will you cash it? Have you cashed it? And if you've cashed it, you don't have to keep cashing it. You just keep looking at your bank statement and go, oh, oh yeah, this is who I am in Christ. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace and the love of God I stand. And once I, once I begin to trust that work of transformation, I'll trust that I can take thoughts captive. A thought comes to me and I go, okay, what am I going to do with this thought? Lord, give me revelation on this thought. Where is this thought leading me? Is this going to lead to health, to positivity, to a good use and stewardship of my time and my money, my resources, or is it, is it, gonna, is it kind of neutral in and of itself, but it's probably going to waste my time, distract me, take me down a rabbit hole, or, or worse? I can, I've, I've got the power because I'm, I know what God is capable of doing in me, and, and I believe that he, he has done that. I've got the power to take that thought captive. That's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> Which would be good to guard from the enemy. Don't steal that one. Take him away. I'll tell you another little thought the enemy loves to just dupe us with because we talk about God and we talk about the devil. And so we can, we can maybe think they're on a par. You know, God, the devil. And, and the devil, he just loves to sort of make us sort of forget that he's actually a created being. God, the creator of everything there is, outside of time, outside of our ability to understand. But the devil is just a fallen angel. He's a created being. He, sure, he has power and influence, but he's, 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 not on a power, he's not on a par with God. He's on a par with the angels. He was created. There was a time when Satan didn't exist. And, Revelation 17, there's going to come a time when he will no longer exist. He is destroyed. He's finite. Now, sadly, we live in the times when, or, or testingly for us, we, we live in times when he's still alive and active. But there will come a time when he is no longer in existence. Praise God. He is less than God. He's not on a, sometimes we think, oh, it's a bit of an arm wrestle. Who will win? God or the devil? God or the devil? God or the devil? No. God has won. Colossians 2, made a, he's disarmed the powers and principalities on the cross, made a public spectacle of them. So when Satan tries to dig up something from your past, you just quote Revelation 17 and remind him of his future. We have that power as Christians. Now, you think, it well, really, Tim? Ooh, sounds quite strong, a bit heavy for a Sunday evening. Well, I'm... Don't take it from me. Here's another thing that you see the enemy that he loves to play. He says, oh, Tim's an amazing teacher. Isn't Tim an amazing teacher? Gosh, how amazing. Gosh, I need Tim. If it wasn't for Tim, I wouldn't know anything. Rubbish. No, well, I mean, I can, I can teach a bit. But <laughs> you don't need me. All, all I'm doing, I'm not doing my job if I'm not pointing you to this. You've got this. And, and put it in there. 
so that you've got this, the eyes of your heart, so that you know who you are. You don't need me, Will, anyone. We're here to encourage you. Life Group's here to encourage you. Prayer triplets, all good. But don't let the enemy fuel you that you need them or us. You've got everything you need in Christ. And when I know that, final thing. Reformation. Change. Now, now we're back, we're kind of above this axis here. This is stuff that I, I can do. So um, again, Paul to the church in Ephesus. Chapter four, and I wish I'd written the verse. Um, oh, there we are, verse 25. Is that what I mean? Oh, no, Revelation. Um, Let's, let's, go, let's, go with, let's go with the Bible. We'll come to Revelation later on. Uh, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. So if he talks about this matter. I haven't quite got the verse. Oh. Uh, uh, it, it's, anyway, it's the metaphor of, it's like a clothing metaphor. Put off your old clothes. Put on new clothes. And that's something that we can do. That's, that's, Reformation is kind of where we co-operate with God. We work with God. In, in light of all that we know, the revelation that he's given us, the transformation that he trusts in Christ by his spirit, he's brought inside our hearts, enables us to reform how we live. Revelation increases desire. Think of Thomas. Oh, Jesus has died. That's just... oh. I'm going to have to go back to doing whatever I was doing before. And then you, you see Jesus conquered death. And you go, my Lord and my God. Oh, thanks. That's great. Uh, my Lord. Oh. And, and Thomas spent the rest of his life following Jesus. In fact, he went to his own death, martyred for the sake of Jesus. That's how in love with Jesus. Fresh desire. When I see who Jesus is, when I see what scripture is, when I see what it is to be part of a, a community of living faith, wh- why wouldn't I be, want to be part of that? Why wouldn't I want to read scripture, a love letter from God? Why wouldn't I want to follow Jesus if I've had revelation of who he is? And that transforms my, how am I going to spend today? How will I spend my money? What will I think about? Who will I contact? How will I, how will I steward my life here on earth? I... I I want to change because I've been transformed. I want to clothe myself with love and compassion and... <laughs> I, don't, I think we've, we've probably got it, haven't we? We'll do, we'll do it later. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's actually quite an important part. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> it's the final bit. It's the final bit. Where are we doing? All oh, gosh, time's racing on. There we are. Um, oops. Let's try and put this transformation up here. <laughs> I was such a rubbish teacher. <laughs> it never worked. <clears throat> yeah, look, this is the final bit. Where's, where are my pens? Here we are. Thanks, Joe. Round of applause for Joe. <laughs> so yeah, look, we we've got to do the we've got to do the, the whole circle, 
round here. And I get to here and I think, oh, now, now, because I've got to here, well, what, this now filters the information. I, I don't want to read that. I'm not going to buy I mean, you sort of say, well, great, if I've got a bit of time, but I'm going to, I'm going to dig into Scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to learn Scripture by heart. I'm going to get it bedded in here. So, so now I'm a bit more specific about the information, which, which means I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on hearing God through revelation, which means he can do that work of transformation so much more easy because there's less resistance, less clutter. And, and so I change. And that, when I see myself, people, you know when people say, um, oh, you've had a haircut, oh, you've lost a bit of weight, it's who you are, yeah, you, you're always like, well, when we notice that we've, we're, we're coming more into the likeness of Christ, by the way, here's another thing, devil, holiness, word association, holiness, uh, dull, grey, drab, a bit boring, just for the keenies, no, who sowed that idea, why do we think that holiness is, mm, Holy, holiness being filled with God is beautiful, is creative, is imaginative, is attractive. Jesus was holy and sinners flocked to him. Come on, holiness. Who's told us that holiness is something, oh, don't, yeah, it's just, I wouldn't bother, it's just for the keenies. No, holiness is something I want. But we've got a skewed idea, we've been living lives about holiness, what holy living looks like. And so the more I go around this circle, the more, the more I want to be holy. I become holy. Here's the final thing, final thing. Most churches, maybe, and including this church maybe, which is why I hope this talk helps to counter it. Every school assembly, we, we grew up, if you had a school assembly, a Christian school assembly, the Good Samaritan, um, so, you know, which of these ones are neighbor or the one who helped them? Yes, go and do that likewise, Jesus says. And the head teacher stands up and says, yes, yes, go and do thou likewise. And then there's a little application. So, if there's Johnny in year three and he's being picked on in the playground, what do we think we should do? And so it becomes a morality tale. We've been schooled into thinking that all Jesus did was just teach us how to be good. And so we think, there's my information, school assembly or sermon or whatever it is. Okay, I've got a... Oh, dear. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to go straight to there. In, in effect, what I'm saying is, oh, right... I've heard what to do, now I've got to do it. I've heard what to do, now I've got to do it. And we completely cut out this vital part. This is the work of God in us. And so it becomes a work of man. It becomes religion. It becomes a duty. This is why my guy reading the Bible, see, it just drained like the sponge squeezed out. The, the revelation guards so the transformation, hardly there. So, oh, try harder. You must. You ought. Oh. It becomes religion of effort. Two things will happen if we try to do this whole thing, if we try and reform in our, in our own strength. Either it'll lead to pride, because for a day or two, you'll be really good. You say, I'm going to love everyone I see. And for a day or two, you will be able to love everyone you see. And you'll get to the end of day two and go, <laughs> check me out. I'm a, look at me, a totally reformed Christian. That's pride. But then day three or day four, and someone will irritate you, and you won't be quite so loving, and you'll become aware of that, and you're oh, gosh, I can't do this, as it will lead to despair. When we try and do religion in our own strength, it either leads to pride or to despair. And the, the enemy's got us. And we fall to our knees, and we say, Lord, I need your revelation and the transformation that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, living in you and me. That's what will inspire 
reformation. Amen. Let's stand.